Well, if you have a Bible this morning, find Daniel chapter 3. We are in the second part of a series that we're calling Radical Devotion. So I hope that you've been challenged and encouraged so far in this series. But we'll be in Daniel chapter 3 for the entirety of the message this morning. Last week we kicked off this series by learning that radical devotion results in total surrender. That we have to start this, this radical devotion. It starts though with a commitment to our faith. So are you committed to your faith this morning? Are you committed to the truths that, that Christ modeled for us and taught us and showed us how to live? We learned last week that radical devotion will have a chance to prove itself. So are you ready for when your faith is tested? And we have a guarantee of a future blessing when we are devoted. So do we trust that the blessing is worth it? Last week we asked you this question, when have you experienced a test of your faith? I don't know how many of you have experienced a test of your faith. I would go on a limb and say, all of us have experienced some type of testing of our faith at some point along the journey of following Jesus. Maybe it was a bad diagnosis. Something that just came out of left field. Something that you were not expecting. That, that, that cancer diagnosis. Maybe it was a disease or some type of sickness that you couldn't identify. But it just it came out of nowhere. And it was a test of your faith. Or maybe it was a mental health struggle. Maybe it is a mental health struggle this morning. Maybe it was a loss of a loved one. Maybe bankruptcy is something you've experienced and that was a really testing season for you and your faith. Or maybe it was simply just the loss of a job. When you're not sure what the next step is going to be or what you're going to do. And this week, the question shifts just a little bit to how did you respond when your faith was tested? How did you respond? Now, we learned last week, one of, the, one, of the, one of the key identifiers is that doubts and questions are not necessarily a bad thing. But when we doubt and we have questions, it makes it clear that a test of faith has occurred. So doubt is something that we experience. But I've seen several times in the course of being a pastor and just being a Christian and even in my own experience of following Jesus that when I have experienced a test of faith, I have seen and sometimes have responded with some different emotions. Things like anger. We've all seen it. In the church world, something goes, goes a little sideways. There's a challenge. There's a shift in what our perfect plan may be. Something like the loss of a loved one or a job loss or bankruptcy or a mental health struggle or one of those things happens and we respond with anger. That's our response. Sometimes maybe we just respond in fear. That we're unsure of, of what this test is going to produce or we're not sure what God is doing in the midst of this test of our faith. We also learned last week that those tests can come from three different areas. God can test us, Satan can test us, and evil, wicked people can test us. And I believe that anger and fear and doubt and all of those things are normal human emotions. That we all feel them, we all deal with them, they're not condemned, but I do believe that we shouldn't stay there. 
I think that it's really important that we let them do their thing, but we put them in their proper category, and we allow God to do His work. Now, we're in Daniel chapter 3 this morning. You can tell that we skipped Daniel chapter 2. Last week we were in Daniel 1. I want to give a quick recap as to what happened in Daniel 2 before we start Daniel 3, because I believe that some of the events in Daniel 2 affect what we see playing out in chapter 3. So in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Many of you have heard this story before, but Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He commands his magicians and his sorcerers and, and those who... We're supposed to have the ability to interpret dreams. He, he told them to tell him what his dream meant. And if they didn't, he was going to tear them limb by limb. A little scary. So they're just like, they're like, dude, we, we can't do it. And so he orders to have them, have them murdered by Daniel and his men. And so Daniel responds to this request, this command from the king. And he says, listen, give us a chance to prove, to interpret the dream for you. And so he asks for some time. He walks away from the king. He gathers his three partners, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They seek God, which I think is an important matter for all of us to remember. That as we have these testings of our faith, or we're being called to do something a little bit radical, then we should seek the face of God first. It's been helpful for me. I believe it would be for you too. And so God reveals the details of this dream to Daniel, and he gave them what they needed. And there were several things that took place in this dream. There were three events, four events technically. I mean, there were three kingdoms that were going to rise up against Babylon that were weaker than Babylon, and Babylon was going to crush all of those nations except the fourth one. The fourth one was going to rise up and they were going to be a mighty force against King Nebuchadnezzar and they were going to take over the kingdom and destroy it. And so as a result of Daniel and his interpretation of this dream, he is promoted and things go well for just a little while. I guess I shouldn't say a little while because some Bible scholars believe that 20-some years takes place between Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 3. I don't know. None of us really know, but based on some of the timelines in archaeology, that's what a lot of scholars believe. But in Daniel chapter 3, the temperature is about to change literally. And this is possibly influenced by what happened in, Genesis, in chapter 2 of Daniel. So last week we read that these three, these four Hebrew captives, they denied unclean Food offered to idols and they, because it would have defiled them. And so the king wanted them strong and healthy and he wanted them ready to fight and stand and, and be a good representation of his kingdom. But these young men knew that they could not eat the king's food because it had been offered to idols. And so they approached one of the king's leaders and they asked for a test. They said, hey, test us. Only give us vegetables and water. And then after 10 days, compare our, our physique to those who have been eating the king's meat. And so the king approves this. And at the end of 10 days, they are tested. And God blesses. And they were strong. And they were healthy. And they, they had passed the test. But one thing that we know to be true is they were unsure of the outcome. They took a stand. They radically devoted themselves to God and His will and His plan for their lives, but they didn't know that they were going to come out on the other side the way they did. But they decided that it was worth 
the risk. Another even bigger test of their faith was about to come for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego specifically. So if you're there in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to begin reading together in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. Now that's 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. It's several of these auditoriums stacked on top of each other. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that the king had set up, that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now here's what we see to be so true in these opening verses of Daniel chapter 3. And this is true for every culture that has existed, that the demands from this evil world are all around us. We know this to be true. It's been the case since Genesis chapter 3. When Satan comes on the scene, he deceives Adam and Eve, and they sin. Sin enters the human race. Wickedness fills the heart of people. And so the demands from that evil world, they're all around us. And they've been all around us since Genesis chapter 3. Nothing is different today than it was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The demands from evil are all around us. I don't have to convince you of that. But Romans 12, as we learned last week, challenges us not to conform to the patterns of this evil world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that Christ produces in each and every one of us. So the question is, what will we do when we face the idols of this world? What do we do when this evil world, which is all around us, is trying to, to trap us? Will we give in, or will we decide to do several things? And this is nothing new. This is not groundbreaking, but it's so easy to forget. When we are being pushed and when we are being prodded, will we decide to know truth? Will we know what truth is? Because as we learned last week in Daniel chapter 1, they were aware of what God expected of them, and they were obedient, and they were committed and submitted to their faith. So will we know truth? Will we be able to identify what is evil and what is wicked and sinful because we know truth? I think that at the root of a lot of what we're experiencing in our world today and what they even experienced back then is people were not dedicating themselves to truth so they couldn't actually identify what was sinful and what was wicked and what was evil. 
And what are the next steps that we have to take? How do we apply the truth to know what is sinful and to know what is right? From appearances, the stakes may not seem very high right now for us. Maybe we don't feel like we're being pushed into different areas like, like others may have been. And that's what the enemy wants us to think. That the stakes are not high. That, that this issue or this sin or this thing that we're participating in, oh, it's not that big of a deal. You don't have to worry. But what about when it is a much bigger deal? If we've caved in our practice rounds... How can we expect to stand firm when the stakes are actually really high? Verse 8 continues. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So this decision that these three men have made to stand firm in what they know to be right and know to be true, it caught the attention of the community. It caught the attention of other leaders and people who worked. The Chaldeans were, they were looking for a reason to stop the Jews. Now, I dug a little deeper into why the Chaldeans were so antagonistic against the leaders. And here's what one study source said. It says, The men who inform on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are specified as certain Chaldeans who are targeting the Jewish immigrants. They are likely political rivals smelling on an advantage to be gained. Perhaps it is jealousy or prejudice that motivates the Chaldeans. This is known by this people group. But when you make the radical decision, and this goes for all of us today, to do what honors God, and that's an important phrase, what honors God, especially in a world that is wicked and evil, it will be noticed. It, it doesn't change based on how how calm our world is or what we have at our fingertips or how calm the world seems to feel at times. We have all these modern luxuries and sometimes it doesn't feel like we have that much to worry about. But these young men had a target on their back. But they didn't just have a target on their back because they were good-looking dudes. They had a target on their back because they were they were boldly standing in the truth that honored God. And that's what radical devotion helps us do. It enables us to stand firm. You see, when we make a decision to be all in with our faith, it helps us do what we normally wouldn't do or thought we couldn't do, by the way. Have you ever been surprised at your ability to stand strong? Have you ever had that moment where you stood firm in something that you believed in so strongly, you, got, you step back, you're like, wow, I didn't know I actually had that in me. Or maybe, maybe with a test of faith or a sin issue, 
or was something that would have compromised your Christian testimony. You were just amazed that you were able to, to, to stand. I've been in situations where I was surprised that I stood strong, yet aware that it was God's power alone that was working through me. My devotion, our devotion, has been our resolve, yet there have been times that I have failed and that you have failed as well. And I'm sure all of us identify with that this morning. But how does devotion to God help us stand firm? We have so many examples throughout our Bibles, specifically in the New Testament. We can think of Paul's radical devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it caused him to stand firm in the face of so many tests of his faith. He encountered severe persecution, r- repeated beatings, and he was, uh, he was stoned by rocks several times. He, he had potential death that he was facing and then eventual death that he did face. What about the rest of the disciples? Other than Judas out of the 11 that, we, that we, we read about, 10 of them were killed for their faith and one was exiled, which is probably worse than being martyred for, their, for this faith, to the island of Patmos where he wrote a book that, that makes all of our minds explode called Revelation. We think about those who started the early church in the book of Acts. We think of Stephen and his radical devotion to Jesus Christ. And it cost him his life. And he would not back down. We think of Joseph and Mary who were the earthly parents of Jesus. They defied culture by not separating. And they faced extreme danger as a result of that. The risk was very high having Jesus in their keeping. Let's continue the verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, It is true, O Shadrach, Meshach, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music— to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately pass into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? A little bit of pride going on there, King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so... Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. No matter what, he's going to deliver us. In life or death, we're not afraid, they say. But if not, be it known to you, O king. And this is like, I don't, they're not like antagonizing the king, but they're just making it clear. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now that's bold, but what we see here is radical devotion never compromises. If you have a compromising faith, it's not a committed faith. Radical devotion never compromises. And I know it's Father's Day, but we need more fathers who will have this kind of faith. A non-compromising kind of faith. It's okay to be bold. It's okay to not compromise. It's not unloving. 
to take a stand for what is true and what is right. It is okay to have boundaries, even if those who are against our boundaries don't like that we have those boundaries. It's okay to be bold. It's okay to be radically devoted to our faith. A radical, uncompromising faith knows one thing to be true, that trouble is coming. Jesus promises the disciples in John 16, that trouble is headed their direction. But to take heart because he's overcome the world. The disciples experienced that in Acts chapter 4. John the Baptist actually lost his head for taking a biblical view of marriage. Uh, there's a lot of things that take place in our Bibles of people who had an uncompromising commitment to truth. Enough on that. Verse 19. Then, ne then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury again. I wonder why. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the, bar the burning, fiery furnace. These men were bound with their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their ornaments. I guess they needed to be dressed to go to the fire. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the burning, fiery furnace. Radical devotion infuriates the enemy. It always has, and it always will. God's enemy, Satan, and wicked people, they don't like being challenged, and they don't like being backed into a corner, because here's what it does. It causes them to lose their influence. It causes them to lose their power and their status. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and wicked people will stop at nothing to stop you. Now, we may we may all face some type of Nebuchadnezzars in our lifetime. It could be a person. It could be a group. It could be a movement. It could be an organization. I don't know what it is. But we will all face some type of infuriated enemy in our lifetime. I've experienced this type of fury and anger from, from people that I thought loved me that were on my team. But when when pride and anger, they, they fuel our emotions, it causes people to act foolishly. Pastor Craig Rochelle says that when wisdom, that when, when wisdom is, when emotions are high, wisdom is low. You see, in this instance, things change when God comes through. Something we can bank on that we have, we never need to fear is that God is in our courts. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. It's emotions driving him again. And he declared to his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. I think it says near because it was heated up seven times and it was supposed to be. 
And he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him. You should underline that. Who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. That's a direct connection to Romans chapter 12 right there. They yielded up all of themselves to their god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Once again, emotions. And their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And then the king promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Radical devotion, trust that God will always be with us. In life or death, they trusted they didn't care because they were radically devoted. No matter what, God was with his faithful servants. And no matter what, God is with us. And he's with you. There is a guarantee that we all have this morning. We all have the same guarantee if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. We have his spirit living inside of us. We have his word to guide us. He will always be with us. And when we submit ourselves and commit all that we are to him and him alone, he is honored and he is glorified. And his work is what gets noticed. Even when things don't turn out to roses and sunshine. I love what Isaiah prophesied a century before this. He reminds us, and, and, and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego probably knew these words to be true as well. That God has ransomed us. And he has called us by name. And he promises that when we go through deep rivers of water, or when we experience fire and we're walking through fire, that he will be with us and he will see us through. That's in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 2. You notice the fire and the floods in that reference? We're told to expect them. But I'm so thankful for the promise that he is ransomed and he is called and he will go through them with us. You see, the purpose of this series is not to encourage us to just raise a fuss for the sake of raising a fuss. Or just to fight because we like to fight. And I know some of you in the room like to fight. Secretly, I do too. So I'm with you. I like to fight. But that's not the point of the series. That's not even the point of radical devotion. The purpose is to stand for faith to stand in truth, to stand in our convictions, and to stand up against the evil that is all around us. There's a fine line between, between obeying those who are in s submission to while standing for what is right. It's, there's a difference in obeying just 
to obey and then being submitted. You see, some have died for it, whether in Bible times or more recent history. But as much as it is in our power, we should stand for faith. In our current times, this, this could have several different things attached to it. It could be defending life. It could be fighting for and against injustice. It could be denouncing false teaching according to God's standards. It could be protecting your family against the enemy attacks. It could be rightly loving and discipling your children, intentionally discipling them, sharing the gospel with those who are lost in your world and in your circle, and then discipling those people. It could be fighting for sexual purity in all relationships, whether married or dating. It could be a commitment to, to being with the body of Christ regularly, committing to spiritual disciplines in your heart and in your calendar, not compromising when it, when it seems too hard to stand strong. You see, when the need arises, be willing to demonstrate your devotion. The need will arise. The situation will come. If you are 100% committed to your faith, you're following Jesus, you're all in, and I don't use that language just to hype anyone up, but when you're all in, the need will arise for you to demonstrate your devotion. And just for the sake of the series title, will you be found radically devoted? And I don't want to over-spiritualize everything that we experience and see. But if you read Matthew 1 through the end of Revelation, you will find a radically devoted group of people. It wasn't beautiful and pretty all the time. It wasn't easy. But it was worth it. Because when you've experienced the gospel and how it has changed your own heart and you've watched it change the trajectory of your entire family, it's worth standing for. It's worth being devoted to. I watched the gospel take a family like mine that was engulfed by wickedness and evil. And I watched it transform us. I watched it take a mess and make it a beautiful mess because it was infused with something different. It was a radical devotion. We have to remember that the demands from this evil world are all around us. They're everywhere and they always have been and they always will be. So are you ready? Are you ready this morning for when your faith is tested? But when we're devoted in a radical way, when we're committed and submitted, it enables us to stand firm. So will you stand firm when your faith is under attack? When it seems easier to cave, to give in, and just ask for grace, will you stand firm in your faith and your devotion? In love. Radical devotion, it never compromises. So are you prepared to stand against the enemy? 
Because when you stand, the enemy will be angered. God's enemy will be angered. The radical devotion trusts that God will always be with us. And through all of it, as I mentioned last week in Daniel 1, 3, and 6, each one of those chapters end with this, this declaration that God was honored and glorified. If you notice, even the wicked Nebuchadnezzar could see it wasn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that pulled themselves through the fire. It was their God. Because our God always shows up. And he always does what he promises to do. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know this God that we're talking about. You don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have never been born again. You have, you have never heard the gospel and you are not saved. You are not a child of this king, this God today. We want you to know that you can know him. And you can serve him. And you can be radically devoted to the King of Kings. That God created mankind to be in a relationship with him. But in Genesis 3, as we've referenced already, Satan comes on the scene. He tempts Adam and Eve. They disobey God. They rebel against him. And they sin. And in that moment, sin entered the human race. That's why we see things like golden images being set up by King Nebuchadnezzar. Because sin has infiltrated the heart of man. But we're all sinners. Nebuchadnezzar all the way down to me. And my sin separated me from this God who created me to be in a relationship with him. But this God is holy, as I've already mentioned. He's set apart. And he's a God that needs to be honored. He's a God that knows no sin. And my sin has separated me from him. And no matter how good I tried to be, no matter how good you try to be, you can never be good enough to pay the price for your sin. So Jesus Christ comes on the scene some 2,000 plus years ago, and he pays the price for your sin and my sin. He lives the life we couldn't live. He dies the death that we should have died. He doesn't sin. He lives blameless in this world. And he gives his life on the cross of Calvary as that final sacrifice, as the final payment for our sin. And he says, it is finished on the cross right before he dies. And what he meant by those three words is that your sin has been dealt with. That there's nothing else that you have to do. There's no good deed that you have to accomplish. There's, you, you can't be good enough. That I have paid the price. I have finished. I have wrote a check. And it is cleared. And all you have to do is call on the name of Jesus and believe the gospel. Repent of your sin. And that Jesus will save you. And he will give you a life that is different. And he will enable you to live radically devoted in this world. I'm so glad that my parents responded to the invitation from those two men on our front porch to receive the good news of the gospel. Will you receive it today? 
If you're here and you have questions about that gospel and that Jesus who died for you, we would love to answer those questions. We'll have a deacon to my left, your right, over here in this corner. They would love to pray with you, answer any questions that you may have, and even show you from the scriptures where Jesus actually said those words, that those who, who repent and believe the gospel will and can have life. So go talk to someone this morning. Find me at the doors out here in the main lobby. And if you're here and you are a Christian this morning, when the need does arise— Will you be able to demonstrate your devotion? Because the day is coming when you're going to have to stand for what you believe in. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for who you are and what you've done. We're thankful for this story that gets so often overlooked in our, in our churches. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, it just gets delegated to children's ministry so often. But there's so much for us to learn from the boldness of these three men and how we can apply it to our lives. So God, help us to be radically devoted to you, not to our own causes, not to the things that we're passionate about, but to you and your will and your ways. And when we are, you are honored and you are glorified. And when we trust you, we are blessed. We thank you for that blessing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.